0: You are listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Hello and welcome, one and all, to the Antioch Center for the Nations Thursday night meeting. It's always a pleasure to be in the presence of our King. Jesus is wonderful. I'm going to uh, go into the Word, and we may end later with some uh, <coughs> praise and worship. I have a simple message to very simple. Just something that occurred to me as I was looking through the Scriptures about salvation and about being saved uh, and about the future tense surrounding that. People who will be saved, with the title of the message of death, will be saved. Now, we know that we will be saved. Uh, often, there's two contexts in the passages of Scripture uh, that the Bible speaks of salvation with verbs and one is future and it says will be saved and the other is continuous and progressive. So the Greek, whenever speaking in Salvation, says we are being saved now and then we will be saved, meaning a rescue uh, toward the end. Because we're, we're on a passage, and, and I, I, I talk about this pretty often, but it's, sometimes we have that mentality that, okay, we are we are saved, meaning that uh, We're saved, and so it's done. You know, it's it's a long process, but as I looked up specifically the future tense, where it also conveniently in English is always translated, will be saved, saved in the future, not yet, but heading to the day of redemption, there are interesting, there's an interesting pattern that emerges. Of course, there's seven things we're going to look at, and uh, they're simple. And you know all these passages, so we're just going to go into them and I'll read them one by one. The first one is, uh, what do you need to, to, really it's a question I would ask you, what do you need uh, to be saved? What do you you have to do to make sure that you will be saved? Remember that phrase, will be saved? You'll see it occurring several times through these passages. Uh, The first one is you need to enter the gate. It all starts there. And the passage says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I think all of us understand that he is the gate and through him everyone goes, all who come before me are thieves and robbers with the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Uh, they will come in and go out and find pasture. Then he goes on to use that verse that we often think that we use in application to what the enemy does. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Uh, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So here we see there in verse 9, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Now we know that that we need to make it to the Father through Jesus. You know all the passages that uh, only through Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no other person, no human, can make it to the Father except through Him. We also know that the gate itself is uh, in conjunction with the gatekeeper. And recently when we studied that, we found out that really that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit keeps the gate, leads people to the gate. He allows people to enter or not enter. So the Holy Spirit is the one that compels us from the very beginning to even go toward that gate. Before you're saved, The Holy Spirit is already active in your life. I remember the Holy Spirit in my life before I ever knew Jesus. Before I ever entered the gate. Before I knew that there was a gate, the gatekeeper was already calling me. Because that's the active force of God's ministry on earth today is the Holy Spirit. So the gatekeeper is speaking and calling people to do this first thing. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would be saved. That they all will be saved. So there's there's no possibility that there are people that are destined to go to hell. I think everyone is destined to go to heaven. But even if you are destined to do something, you still have been given free choice. So we either go through the gate or we don't go through the gate. But we remember that I remember going through the gate. I remember in uh, 1984. I remember the gate uh, appearing in my room. Uh, and I ran away first when the Holy Spirit did all those things to lead me to the gate. I met the gate, but I ran away from the gate instead of going through it. Because you can be brought to the gate and not walk through it. Uh, when you speak to people and the active force of God working through you, the Holy Spirit in person touches them and it brings them to the very threshold. It brings them to the porch of heaven, and the gate stands there, and the door, he calls himself a door, uh, and it's ready for them to go through, but they don't always go through it. And it all starts with that. So if they don't go through the gate, number one, they will not be saved. So salvation starts with that idea. So we have to understand, if you can actually take these passages and bring it to someone and tell them, how would you like to be rescued when this is all said and done? Uh, we're all talking about apocalypse and nuclear holocaust and the nuclear winter, and all the movies are projecting this really grim, dystopian, nightmarish ending, and everyone is in fear about that possibility. Well, you might want to be able to tell them that, well, there is something that can save you from all of that. Would you be saved? Would you like to be saved? So they came to Jesus and said, What must I do to be saved? They came to the disciples and said, What must we do? be saved and that was on the day of pentecost because the holy spirit was there powerfully convicting all of them so as you walk with the holy spirit that's your first target really in working with people is to bring them to the gate let them see the gate show them the gate and tell them all you need to do is go through it you can read this passage to them you see understand jesus is the gate he's the way to the father you have to get to the father but jesus is the only way the thief is here and you can tell them then what is the thief trying to do steal He's trying to kill and He's trying to destroy. He's going to steal from you any possibility. We know that He is the raven on the road. The one that steals the seed that is laid out before it can be brought inside the human heart. He comes to steal that. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. Jesus is just the opposite. Jesus has not come to steal. Jesus has come to bless and to give, give life give peace, give rest, give the gifts, all the things. Just go to a study on what Jesus gave and gives and will give. He gives out a lot of stuff. Then go through and look what Satan gives. Nothing. Satan only takes. And then apply those two basic concepts of the personality of these individuals to deities and religions around the world. And then you will suddenly understand which ones are of Satan and which ones are of God. A religion that takes from you. A religion that requires constant sacrifice in the sense that you need to appease the gods. That looks like Satan. He's come to steal, to take the things. But Jesus is just the opposite. i never forget that young girl, 12 years old, that got saved in Bombay, India, when we gave her a gift basket as a gift and we did it in the name of Jesus and she cried because she was starving she had several of them in the house they hadn't eaten in days we gave them that gift basket and she wept a bucket of love and the thing she said haunted me ever since she said who is this Jesus that gives to me all of my gods have only taken from me that is what made the difference for that young woman to accept Jesus. Now you say 12, that's really young. When you are If you saw her position, she was forced into the a, a realms of adulthood the very people in the Psalms often have, they, they're young but they're old. You, I meet kids all the time that they're already tasked and responsible with carrying multiple siblings and she was one of those beautiful words though that give you a picture of in fact what Jesus has come to do. And the gate is open, it's a free entrance, he wants you to go through, he paid for it. He paid for it. He's the one that laid down his life so that you would be able to go through the gate. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The whole reason that he did that and sacrificed as he did was so that you will be saved and that the people around us will be saved. Amen? Let's go to the next one. A call on his name. What must I do to be saved? How can I say that I will be saved? Well, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is said in context. Second chapter of Acts, when the power of the Holy Spirit had come. And he's quoting this passage from the Old Testament to be able to tell the Jews that whoever calls on the name of the Lord because they're asking what must we do to be saved. He says, well, you need to call him. So you, at that point, imagine that he is the gate and you want to go through that gate, but perhaps when you get to the gate, there's a call box there. Have you ever been to somebody's place and you have to push the button or press in their number? Hello? Yeah, it's me, Stephen. Can you let me in. Come in. (coughs) the thing opens and then you can go in well this is not unlike what happens with Jesus we come to the gate but then we are going to have to articulate some type of a call out of our mouth to him in order to receive what he has for that that entrance to take place and it says for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved Yeah, they're going to be saved if they call on the name of the Lord, but this is the the scripture that haunts us. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So they answer the question, How can one preach unless they are sent? Well, we're going to send you. We're going to send people. You pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send you into the harvest field as a laborer. How can they hear without someone preaching? It's no problem because you're going to be the one after being sent. You're going to be preaching. And how can they believe? No problem. They're going to have heard the word of God, the truth, the invitation will be extended to them. And they will be able to believe. And in that case, on believing, they will call on the one whom they had not previously believed in, because now they know that they can call and say, oh, all I need to do is call His name. And that's where you bring people into the prayer for salvation. You simply get them to call out to Jesus. You just need to say it. You call Him. You tell Him. I'll lead you in the words, but it has to be between you and Him. And then once they actively do that, it does not take a sinner's prayer. It just takes a call. Well, that's how my wife got saved, by herself. Jewish girl in her bathroom locked the door and, and in that bathroom called out to Jesus and that was the very first day she'd ever heard this thing played out in the in a matter of about three hours in her life. And she was able to call out and say, I, I, I call you Jesus and Jesus saved her. She came back not long after that or a couple days later when I saw her again and she said, okay, I did it. And I said, what did you do? Well, she called on his name. And then, therefore, she will be saved. And that's a beautiful thing to understand. You can explain it to people. There's a gate. There's a call box at the gate. And you need to ring the bell and call and say, Hello, is Jesus there? Uh, This is Stephen. I would like to enter. And he will definitely ring you up. He'll buzz you in. He uh, he will never turn you away. He's not going to turn anyone away if they genuinely make it that far and go in to be able to see him. So call in his name. The next one believe and be baptized now these are all the places that say will be saved Isn't it interesting though that it's actually playing out in an exact chronology of how what we do when we get saved what salvation is i've just never seen it in this light before mark 1660 whoever believes and is baptized will be saved whoever does not believe will be condemned so believing and baptized which is part of your confession so in this case when you come to know Jesus you Uh, accept, believe, and then your outward sign of that inner happening is water baptism. And also it could be referred to spirit baptism one out of five times approximately where the word baptizo is used is referring to spirit baptism or at least other things than water baptism. So it's a word that's used different ways. In this case though, I think it really believes water baptized. You get people come and confess and then that outward sign will distinguish them in their culture in, amongst the belief system where they are, it will prove to everyone that they truly do believe in Jesus. Seems like a ritual sometimes or a formality, but it is, in, in my perspective, necessary. It's all righteousness, right? That's what Jesus called it. He says it's all righteousness. We must fulfill our righteousness by being baptized. And that's an important one. So if you get them to come to the gate and they call and come in, then the next step would be this as they believe that they get water baptized and they integrate themselves into the body of Christ. Next, declare with your mouth. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There it is again, will be saved. What will cause me to be able to be saved? If I would like to say I will be saved, what do I need to do? Well, this in this case, you need to declare with your mouth. We know that it has to be spoken and that all things that are eternal are connected to words. I like what Jesus said about the law as it was written down. He said all of it. He says, it would be easier for heaven and earth to instantly disappear than for one pen scratch of the law to be eradicated. That's his word. Think of it that way. That the word of God. What he's saying is the word of God is is more concrete than heaven and earth that's deep that word is the most powerful thing there is for us as created beings to be able to substantiate the process of salvation the declaration of our mouth. we have to say the words or if we can't speak if we're mute fine you need to sign it you need to do something that will communicate that to people write it down Whatever the case, in this case, we know that most of us will be able to clearly say with our mouth and declare that Jesus is Lord. I dare you to say that right now. Say, Jesus is Lord. Lord. There it is. Even through the food, you can say it. (laughs) You can still hear it. Jesus is Lord. People are afraid of using that name, Jesus, too, all the time. It always shocks me that when people are in certain company and they are asked about their faith, they tend to water it back down to the simple and less offensive name, God. You say, well, I need God in my life. No, you need to say, Jesus Jesus is the word. Jesus is the key phrase. Jesus is the thing. They're all the gods. And everybody, they believe in God. I mean, the demons believe in God and tremble, it says. So God, that term is a good term. I refer to Him as God all the time. But Jesus, by no other name, shall men be... Saved then by the name of Jesus. It is the name above every name. In other words, that name is above, then, God. That name is above Holy Spirit, if you think of it in those terms. It is the most powerful name. Now, in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When I'm in the presence of the Holy Spirit, I cry out that Jesus is Lord. I'm in love with Jesus. I'm hugging Jesus. Yeah, I know it's the Holy Spirit, but that's the Spirit of Christ. So I'm fine with using the name Jesus. Because I love Jesus and I like saying Jesus is Lord and I like specifically mentioning that to people when I get in conversations. And one thing I know about it too, if I just say God, they are not as provoked. But once I say Jesus, there is a kind of a twitching that starts taking place they feel something. And that is because it is the name above every name. It's all power resides in that name. And don't tell me, I'm not pronouncing it right. It's really Yeshua. (laughs) If you say Yeshua, then it would be really releasing the power. It does not matter how you pronounce it. You can say Yesu, you can say Yeshu, you can say (laughs) Yeshua, Jesus. You can say Jesus. You say all the things you want, it is the same. As long as it's connected to that person, it is that name that fits. For us, as English speakers, we say Jesus. I love the name Jesus. Sometimes I just chant Jesus. I just say Jesus and talk Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. So you say it while you're believing. The first believe and baptize, and the second declare with your mouth. Okay, we're going to that. Uh, the next thing influence others to be saved, and I'm going to explain this when I read it. Acts eleven fourteen. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Now, we know that this is, of course, the reference to someone who was warned ahead of time or given advance notice that a carrier of the Gospel would come and bring in the good news that is of Jesus and they would be able to get saved as a result. Then, and the whole household. This influencing of others, this is a group of people based upon one person's decision. Acts 16:31. They replied, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your whole household." Remember the jail keeper when he was told, also this same time, that what, what do I need to do? I just need to believe in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, if he responds, "Yes, I believe in Jesus," well, then that's that's the salvation that you will be saved. And then once again, he doesn't. He didn't mean you will be saved at that very moment. Then you're saved. is done. Goodbye. It means that you're entering into that path. Now you walk it out. You're gonna, this is going to make a lot more sense in the very last mention of the phrase will be saved that we look at tonight. But here we influence others. In other words, uh, once we believe in Jesus, the people around us have a really good potential of knowing Jesus. This is not a promise to you as an individual that your whole family will be saved by. You can claim it as a promise and say, I really believe that this will be true for me, but this is a narrative speaking of exact conversations to individuals 2,000 years ago, and not everything spoken to everyone really can apply to you. It's good to accept, but be careful, because some Christians will teach this as a promise, that God promised in His Word that your whole family will be saved if you believe. We can't say that. And the reason I I mention this is because I have dealt with at least five cases of disgruntled, angry Christians. Because they had claimed this as a promise for the salvation of their loved ones. And when those loved ones died and they were not sure whether they were saved or not, then they have to conclude that God is possibly a liar because he told me, no, he didn't really He didn't, if he told you this, he told you to build an ark also. (laughs) So where's your ark? You understand, that was a narrative saying specifically God to Noah, build an ark. If this is what he absolutely told you, completely accept this, well then you also will have to do everything he told every character throughout the Bible. Then you will have to die on a physical cross and have nails stuck to your hands and your feet because he told his son to do that. These are things that you see spoken, so just be cautious. I don't mind accepting, of course it's our prayer and our petition that our family members get saved. But the 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 division the in family mentioned by Jesus that would be there because of belief, if you believe that they would turn against you, your enemies are the ones of your own house, well, just give them some time. Perhaps they will be saved in the future. But don't wait for them, and don't get angry if they don't, because they have their own choices. And you all, all you want is to see them there. That's all. I Think of the Keith Green song when he sings that I only want to see you there. He talks about his this beautiful song about him pleading with his relatives, his friends, and his family to get saved, and why it's just because I just I want to see you there because I know my destination. If we can influence other people, the people around us, they can get saved. My childhood best friend did get saved because of my influence. My brother got saved because of my influence. My mother got saved because of my influence in the very first message I ever preached. She came up in the altar call because of my influence. And it's possible, but I have to leave it my father yet has to be saved. I don't know. He may have received Jesus in the interim that I've not seen him. It's very possible because he's one of those guys right on the edge losing his balance. You know, those ones that are almost there. So it could happen any moment. But we can influence other people. Let's go to the next one. I'll be a part of the few. Romans 9, 27, this first passage under this idea of the remnant says Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. Hmm, There's a scary verse in reference to the Old Testament passage that talked about the fact that although there were so many that it multiplied, salvation can only come through Jesus. So if you're adamantly a Jew, and that requires that you not accept Jesus, Judaism cannot and will not save you. It's impossible. You will not be saved through Judaism. And this is where we need to be very careful also in the Christian ideas as Christians begin to pursue uh, concepts of Judaism and involve themselves in Jewish culture. It's interesting as a study, there's a lot that you can learn from it and, you know, a shofar is nice and all, you can get the prayer clubs and you can make the incense and you can, actually legally you're not supposed to anyway, you can make the oil, you do all the things and they do that and they have, they have Passover's and they celebrate these festivals and do all these things and begin to move to a realm to think that they absolutely must do that. Well, that's being Judaized and it's dangerous. Even the Jews, whether they're Jewish or not, is still absolutely has to be through Jesus. Now, if you have Jesus and you also are doing some Jewish things and stuff, that's that's fine, that's fine. I'm not going to do it. We're not going to do it here. I uh, don't no want Shofar's book, and it's one of the reasons is because of my ongoing battle with externalisms versus internal truth. And the New Testament is inside. The Old Testament is outside. The more you focus on the outside. The more laws, regulations, and standards you have that will bring you under bondage, yeah. the more you focus on the inside. Truth is in there, because yeah. the New Testament deals with what was what's internal. Yeah. The Old Testament dealt with the external. As long as you played by the rules, it did not matter what the motivation of your heart is. And like Jesus said, you know, you say that a, a man commits adultery, but I said, you even look at a woman in, in your heart, lust after her, you've already committed adultery. Jesus went for the jugular vein. You know, Jesus went deep. When He came to man to confront us, He went to the insides. He was no longer dealing with the outside. And that was part of the establishment of His covenant that I will be, they, I will be inside of them. Um, he wanted that internal relationship. He wants to be in the center of you. The center of you is His dwelling place. That is the temple of God. The Holy of Holies is located inside of you that's why from your innermost being will rise up that river of living water it's coming from the threshold of the throne but that throne in a strange spiritual way is actually in inside of you you're carrying it because he's not limited to space and time yes we will go to a physical throne yes there's a physical heaven but for now we carry we have this treasure in these earthen vessels on the inside So keep that in mind, anyway. We're going off on a tangent about this. There's another passage relating to this in Romans 11, verse 1. I asked them, did God reject his Jewish people? By no means. Oh, sorry, just so you know, I'm not anti-Jew. I'm not an anti-Semitic. I'm an Israelite myself, Paul says, the descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people who he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and tore down your altars. I am the only one left. And they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now he's using an Old Testament reference. But he goes on and brings a comparison into the New Testament. Also, this gives you kind of an example of how to use the Old Testament. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. And he goes into the very long debate about works versus grace. And, of course, grace wins every time. Grace is the only way to go. It's the only thing connected with Jesus. And in this case, he's referencing a remnant and saying that there is a remnant now and many are called, but few are chosen. I'm talking about will be saved. He's talking about people who will be saved, that the ones that believe by grace, not by the Old Testament, not by um, the, the, the laws and the rules that were held by those who were stiff-necked and hard-hearted, it says in the Bible, the people who could not enter the rest. But he later, the writer of Hebrews says, they're the rest that remains for anyone who answer into it, whether Jew or Gentile, Greek, Jew, does it not matter? All people are exactly alike. It does not matter what they are. does not matter their, recently I made a post about one of the greatest, if not the greatest travesty of humanity is to judge a man according to his culture, judge him according to his creed, what he believes, his culture being his nationality, his ethnicity, his color who He is, it does not matter. God sees every single person. He's no respecter of persons. We can eradicate that somehow. And I know that's a pipe dream and a virtual impossibility. But in my personal life, I'm going to do the best I can to not put the borders of color culture and creed on relationships with people so that I can relate to them as an individual. Because I've been accepted regardless of my pompous americanness I have been accepted by Singaporeans. I have been loved. You take me with the... Pa- I am obviously American. I can't get away from it. Uh, you, can, you take me out of America. You can take the man out of America, but you can't take America out of the man. I've been out more than 30 years, and I'm still very American. I don't try to be, I just am. But you accept, you overlook that and accept me in love. And it's the same in this relationship we have with people. Make sure, that we understand there's a remnant but they're going to come from all the that's what Jesus said when he was debating and and pleading with the Jews to come in he told them the parables about the wedding feast and how they're all going to make excuses and and about the fact that the 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 lord of the feast would then say go into the highways and the byways get the halt, the blame the lime bring them in the halt the blame the lime get the lime we're going to have some margaritas no 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 lime the blame, the lime. So that's a lime, lime. The remnant will be saved. Many are called, but few are chosen.
1: Everything's better with a little lime.
0: <laughs> I like spent ten years in Mexico. In Mexico, lime is the cure for all disease. A lime can heal. Actually, chili, salt, and lime. That's the holy trinity of medicine. <laughs> Anything. Chili, powder, red chili. Salt and lime. And I'll tell you what, if you take those three things and put them on any piece of fruit or any vegetable or any meat, it's darn good. But also, when you would cut yourself, your neighbor would run over and put salt and <gasps> lime in your Ooh. cup. <laughs> and you know what? It worked. Because yeah. both of those things bacteria cannot live in. Yeah. So it's a natural antibacterial. I mean, I know you get these little cleansers and things, but you could use salt. You can use lime but but both Sometimes they'd make a mistake and also add a little chili to you. <laughs> <laughs> I told them, you know, the uh, salt and lime, I get chili. No, you don't put chili into an open wound. Oh my God, It stings. I... They say, yeah, that's the healing. No, oh. it's not. That's just unnecessary pain. <laughs> chili, salt, and lime. <laughs> they like say, chili, salt, and lime. you go to any, any store, you get, that's, they have chili on the table, they have limes on the table, and they have salt on the table. Uh, there's no such thing as not having those things. Romans tells us that there's a remnant. We will be saved, but who will be saved? The ones that believe, of course. All the things we've, we've seen up to now. Let's go to the next one. This is the last, number seven of all of them. Uh, simply this, just don't quit. How will I be saved? What what can I do to be saved? Well, this is the most important one. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. Matthew's, uh, Matthew's, <laughs> Matthew ten twenty two. He's not here tonight, is he? He's out. Oh, okay. You can you tell him I mentioned his name? Matthew ten twenty two. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Stands firm to the end. Matthew 24, 13, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Again, Mark 13, 13, everyone will hate you because of the But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. He repeats this again and again. It's a very redundant phrase of Christ. Because what he was trying to say, look, people are going to hate you. Uh, especially, he says, if they hated me, how much more are they going to hate you? And they did hate Jesus. Yeah. And so as we are close to Jesus, and we're trying to act like Jesus, the more we live a Jesus life, the more we will be hated. Yeah. The more favor comes on us, the more we'll be hated. Yeah. And it makes it difficult, but we need to make sure that we stand firm to the end. What does that mean? It means you don't quit. And just hang in there. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how rejected you feel, just hang in there. And if you make it to the end, and that's very important, To the end. The end of what? Well, the end of your life. Make it to the end of time. He says he will be with us to the end of this age. In other words, to the end of time itself. So you have a counselor, a comforter, and an advocate. You have someone at your side to help you in all of this. If you stand firm. So in other words, he's not going to quit. He said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Oh, but what if I just keep making mistakes? He didn't say anything about that. There's nothing written in anywhere in the Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, or any of the red letters of Jesus in all four Gospels that says that Jesus decided, you know, there's a, there a limit. And if you do too many things, uh, in fact, Peter wanted to know that measurement of the limit of forgiveness. How can I, and how do I apply? And Jesus said, there's no limit. There's no Not seven times, 70 times, seven times. And he didn't mean 490. He meant infinitely. And God will continue. He will continue to forgive you. He will continue to love you. So he's going to do his part. Don't worry about him holding up his end of the bargain. You need to stand firm until the end. You might be going through some hard times, right? I know a lot of times people will say to you, well, it's going to get better. Well, what if it don't? What if it gets worse, in fact? What if all our hardships just get worse and worse and worse? Let me tell you something. It's a possibility. The way the Earth is changing right now, the way society is developing, what's going on on planet Earth, it's a, it's a distinct possibility. Right now in the United States of America, countries falling apart. Uh, they, there's division up the middle. A good friend of mine, someone I've known, just uh, nice country, people out in uh, beautiful... Clinton, Louisiana, and in this area in southern Louisiana there, they are uh, like a dynasty of people. Named, by the Hornsby's their names, and uh, Scott Hornsby, the pastor of this church, he left it to his son, Star Hornsby, and uh, his other son is Buck Hornsby. and. We had Billy Hornsby, was John Maxwell's European director, and also he developed the Arc. It's an amazing church planting network in America. These are good people, very moral, beautiful, wonderful people. Buck was out on, the, on his own property, and a car drove by and shot him with a shotgun. He had 15 pellets in one side of his body, the three lodged in his eye, in his ear, in his neck, missing his carotid artery, by just a hair. It's a miracle he survived. Why? And they don't know why. Who there? There are four people that were shot. Three died. Buck survived. He was on the news, and they asked him, you know, what got you through with this? And of course, he gave glory to God. He said, "My God got me through this. Thing. Any problem, your God will bring you through it." And he's saying in the interview. His eyes swollen up. He's got. He still got bullets stuck in him. He's a really tough guy, but. My, my thought is, gosh, these are Christians. I, I can't help but think it's connected to the fact that they are God's people. And we always relegate that to some far-flung country where persecution's a bad thing. But if it's rising in America like that, the drive-by shootings, that people are going into churches and shooting people frequently, more and more is happening. Soon we're gonna have to be a lot in America they're gonna have to be a lot more careful about it. even church environments what goes on, how it goes on. There's that con- the people where 58 people were shot and murdered in that country music, country western uh, concert. Uh, they, just before that, that moment that he opened fire, they all they all said the Pledge of Allegiance. They gave honor to God as a group, all of them. And uh, just that has been, that, that same practice has been eradicated in some far, um, parliaments. But mostly country and western people, they are also good. A lot of them are Christians, they're connected to that community. In fact, the country, the Knoxville, Tennessee is what produces all the Christian music. That's what it controls and basically runs the whole show. You name it, you know, Chris Tomlin, whoever, they're connected to that. And it's the country music roots, because it's the Christian culture around them. And they're rising against it, but they, they're going to need to stand firm, just like you need to stand firm have a lot of protection here but there is there's hatred on the rise and the worst they can do is kill you that would be the end in that case and so what death where is your sting to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord i just pray that if they're going to try to kill me they do it they could do a good job right away i want it to be done quickly I always make that joke if they want to cut my head off let me sharpen that axe I'll make it like a razor. I want one swipe. I want it to be that Greek word that we studied about the word of God being being sharper than a two-edged word sharp means with one blow. I want I want one blow. But I'm not gonna quit until then. Um, I told God himself, if you want me to quit the ministry, you're gonna have to kill me. I actually told God So Said God, this is the way I'm gonna have to do it. Um your gifts and your callings are without repentance. You've called me into the ministry. If you want me to stop this, I can't, even if you tell me, I can't take that as an acceptable response. Because it does not. And then I did this years ago, like when I was 18 years old. The reason I did, because I saw people getting confused about a lot of things. And I come up with some absolutes. And one of the absolutes is that. His gifts and his callings are without repentance. If he's called you to do something, that's it. And I will do it. Even if, uh, if I think God told me, if it's God's voice that says you need to quit, I'm not going to quit because it might not be God's voice. What if it is God? God has told people to do things before on purpose to test their resolve. And so I'm going to do it. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg Thank you!